Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're talking about the Kingdom of God, and uh, a lot of different things have been going on over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I went to a meeting up in Idaho and talked with a lot of people there, saw a lot of people there. Just posted something uh, from South Africa about uh, an attempt to outlaw a homeschooling and uh, shared that with the people, and I said I would be talking about some of those things. On uh, on other social media, I posted something uh, I saw. I don't remember how I came across it, but somebody sent a little quip from Ben Shapiro, who was talking uh, at, a, at a conference, and uh, I've added that to a number of pages on our website uh, so that people can... Uh, I think on the Intentional Community website I, uh, at Preparing You, I've added uh, a link to that little short video as well as to the whole video. He says a lot of things that are very interesting, but in one answer he was he was saying that uh, people needed to realize that they need social networks outside of government helping each other with common values. Now, that's what Christ was doing. He was creating a social network. We call it a social network because it involved people, society, and it was sociable. It was voluntary. It wasn't compelled or forced or, you know, there was no leaders in this network that who could exercise authority one over the other. And we called this foundational group that was forming this network the church. And that's what the church was doing. It was a social network outside of the governments of the world helping one another because they were commanded to love one another through faith, hope, and charity and what Paul calls the perfect law of liberty. That's what the church was doing. And here Ben Shapiro, who is uh, Jewish, I mean, he wears a hamaka, you know, and uh, he, I mean, I don't have any problem with him being Jewish. I uh, actually saw that there was a video of him talking about Jesus Christ, and I didn't get a chance to see it, but uh be interesting to see what his opinion is of Jesus Christ. But the reality is, is he's saying what Christ said. You needed social networks in the world, but not of the world. And the word world there is constitutional order or system of government. And so outside of government, he's saying you need social networks that are helping one another, loving one another, caring for one another, practicing pure religion for one another. And they have to have the same values. What are those values? Well, we see those values in the Ten Commandments. If you loved him, you'll keep his commandments. You're not going to be stealing from one another. You're not going to be lying to one another. You're not going to be coveting one another's goods. You're not going to be forcing one another, robbing one another. You're going to be taking care of your parents in hopes that your children will take care of you. And if families break down, you'll help one another. And if you were actually doing that, 
you might be real Christians, but then again, Christians don't do that. They go to men who exercise authority one over the other and say, oh, I need help. I need help with my sons and my daughters. I want you to educate them. I want you to provide for them. I want you to provide for my parents. Uh, yeah, I'll pay in some of this tax money uh, that you compel me to pay anyway, and then I will not worry about these things. And I'll even send my kids to your public schools because I have to pay the taxes anyway. I might as well send them to the schools, right? And uh, I don't have a clue what they're teaching them. I don't know history myself. I think I know history, but that's what I was told that I knew history. But they, I don't realize that almost a 100 years ago, people started altering the way in which Americans viewed history so that they could be comfortably merged with the Soviet Union or with communism. And of course, public education is the 10th plank of the Communist Manifesto. So, so what he's saying is absolutely true. Shapiro is saying that we need these social networks with common values helping one another outside of the government, in the world, but not of the world, not of the government. And that, of course, is what the church is. That is not what most churches are today. So most churches are corporations of the government. They apply to the IRS to be the bishop of their church, the overseer of their church. And so now the all of a sudden they're surprised that the, uh, that the uh, IRS comes in and says, you can't say certain things from the pulpit. Well, that's just, that's just your bishop talking. That's your overseer talking. and He's your overseer because you applied to him for your status as a church. You wanted him to give you a letter, a credence letter, saying that you were a church. And so now he says you're a church. And if you don't do things the way he says you should do them, he will take your status away. And he has every right to do that. Because you went to him to establish your status. That's not what Christ wanted. Christ wanted you to go to the apostles. And the apostles would recognize you. Look out amongst yourself. Find men you trust. And we will appoint them over this matter. We will recognize them. Again, you have to go and study appointment. And we just had a course. And we have this every week on Tuesday. And we will continue eventually until we get to the end of the book. But uh, we had one, Banking on the Kingdom. And we've posted the audios from that course. And if you want to be there on that course live and ask questions, you can do that. You can join the network because we have a social network. And you go to preparingyou or hisholychurch.org and click on the network links and join the network in your area. And then you're on an email group. That's not really a social network. That's an electronic virtual network. But you can ask questions there. You can meet other people geographically located not too far away from you, hopefully, whether you're in Australia or the United States or Canada or South America or South Africa. And you can gather together with other people and form a congregation of record, a congregation of testimony. That's what a congregation of record is. And you can empower someone to be a minister and set him out on the task of connecting you with all the other congregations that have these values of Christ, these values of Moses, these values of Abraham, and connect you with them 
in a free will network, in a voluntary network, where if you want to help them out, you will know how to do that because you will have that connecting point, those ministers who are connecting you. Those ministers have to get to know other ministers so that if there is a need, they know whether that need can be trusted. We don't want our ministers standing on the street corner saying, I have a need, just give me money out your car window and you'll never have any idea what I do with it, but give it to me anyway. And then that will make you feel better and I'll go off and spend it on what I want. No, look out amongst yourselves and find men you trust. And those men need to look out amongst themselves and find men they trust. And then if they tell us they trust these men, we will appoint them over this business of creating a social network outside of the governments of the world that are actually helping one another, strengthening the poor. That's, this is the gospel. Why do we have to get a Jew named Ben Shapiro to tell us what the gospel is? He goes on to say that, you know, that without these virtues instilled in people by religion, you cannot be a free society. He just says it right out, just right there. And, of course, that's what Christ said. You need these in the practice of what James calls pure religion. Pure religion. Pure religion. What is pure religion? He says pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless. It doesn't mean just stop in and say, how how are you doing? It means to actually help the fatherless and the widows, the ones without family, in their affliction. You know, if they're having hard times. And to keep himself unspotted from the world. How do you get unspotted from the world? What does that mean? Do you ever ask these questions when you're reading the Bible? How does the world spot you? What does that mean? Does the planet, you know, do you break out in spots? Do you look like a leopard? I mean, what what, what does it mean, unspotted from the world? Again, that's the word constitutional order or system of government. You have to help people in their affliction without being spotted by the world, without that help being spotted by the world. That means you can't just help some old lady on Social Security. You have to become her Social Security. You can't just help somebody uh, by helping tutor their children while they're going to public school. You have to become the alternative to public school. Because if you're you're sending your kids to public school and home teaching them, your education for your children is spotted by the world. If your parents are being taken care of by Social Security, which is a bankrupt system, people say, you know, I just read somebody saying that, oh, they're stealing from Social Security and they're taking money from Social Security for other government programs. No, they're not stealing money from Social Security. There is no division of funds. That's the law. It was the law at the beginning. That was a part of the agreement when they created this system that they could take that money because there is no division of funds. I mean, you can take money out of your right pocket and you put some of it in your left pocket or you can put it in envelopes, but it's still all your money. 
And all the money the government takes in, it's all their money. And it isn't even real money anyway. So, I mean, like, you guys got to pay attention to what's going on. So, you're supposed to be taking care of your parents, unspotted by the world. You're supposed to be taking care of your children, unspotted by the world. You're supposed to be taking care of the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, unspotted by the world, without the help, without any of the free bread or circuses of the constitutional orders and systems of government that men set up for themselves that are based on the idea of force. Forcing the contributions of the people. You're not supposed to be doing that if you're a Christian. You're not to be that way, Jesus says. But you are. So you're not a real Christian. Now, you want to be a real Christian or not? Well, then you got to go back to that networking. Coming together. Do not forsake the coming together. Israel was a network. The early church was a network. You're not a network. So how can you say you're following Christ, that you're following God? Abraham was a network. A network of altars, which were systems of charity. With free will offerings and living stones receiving those free will offerings and distributing amongst the needy of their society. Visiting the widows and orphans and needy of their society. If your family's real strong, you probably don't need any welfare so you're not the fatherless. Because your dad's still working, your grandfather's working, all your uncles are working, and you're taking care of one another. And great. But occasionally people need help. So how are you going to get it? You're going to hire somebody to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare like the socialists and the communists in most of the countries of the world today? Or are you going to get come together in faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty? Which group of people will have greater bonds in their society? Which group of people will actually care about one another? They don't want you to understand this. Because they they depend on people who are actually not far from the kingdom swearing allegiance to them. So that they will be served by those people. Because the lazy ones, they're still lazy. No matter what side of the aisle they're on, they're still going to be lazy. The self-indulgent, the the, the uh, wantonness, the lasciviousness of people is still all going to be there. Whatever side of the aisle. But if you're in a voluntary society, people not only voluntarily contribute to that society, they voluntarily decide to help one another. If you're in a system that has entitlements, you're not on Christ's side. You're spotted by the world. If you're in a system that forces the contributions of the people, you're not a Christian. That's not a Christian system anyway. Maybe deep down in your heart you you want to be a Christian. Well, then start networking with other people that have that same value. So anyway, that's the gospel. That's what pure religion is. And so, you know, anyway, I posted that video on Facebook, a number of different groups, and people can share it around. And, uh, but then I asked on, on some of the groups, uh, you know, that, that, that religion that, that supposedly gives people these values should be pure religion. And that pure religion is to take care of one another and provide that help and services without any help from the world. 
unspotted by the world, by the constitutional orders and systems of the government. So then I posted James's quote, and I says, Do you know how the world spotted religion? How, how is religion spotted by the world? Is your religion spotted by the world? Well, yeah, most Christian religions are extremely spotted by the world. They're absolutely, they think they're being charitable when they help a little old lady across the street to get her social security check. They think they're being Christian. If you were really Christian, you'd help it so that woman didn't have to get a social security check. Because every dime you receive from social security is coming out of a bankrupt system, whether you're in Australia or Canada or or England, or France, or any, all those systems are bankrupt. Norway, Sweden, they're all bankrupt. They just haven't declared bankruptcy. But they're all in debt. They're all operating in the red. And so every dime they send out, Social Security, education, everything, is borrowing money against the future children. They're cursing their children with this debt. That they will not be able to work their way out of in their whole life. I mean, the U.S. government, the accounting office, came out and said that by, I think it was like 2012 or 2017 or 19, somewhere in, in this area here, every child born will have to work 90% of its life to pay off the debt. Eventually, it gets to the point where there's no way. You'd have to live 200 years. It's the Alice in Wonderland economy. You have to live your entire life paying off the debt. Or you have to live two lifetimes paying off the debt. Well, you only get one lifetime. And you have cursed your children with having to pay off this debt. Every year you hear it on the news. Increase the debt ceiling. Raise the debt ceiling. What are you? Who's going to pay that debt? You're not going to pay it. You don't care. You're cursing your children. And, of course, Peter said, through your covetous practices, you would curse your children. So, anyway, we got that down. He said that you would become merchandise. You're going to have to work the rest of your life to pay off this debt, but you won't pay it off because it's not geared to be paid off. They want that debt because the debt puts you in slavery to them, gives them power. And now you're cursing your children. But all this could be changed if you would turn around, which is repentance, turning around your thinking, and start developing that social network, that networking society, outside of government, as Ben Shapiro says, helping each other, strengthening each other. And there's a million ways you can start to do that. You're not going to jump all the way over there, but you're going to have to head that direction. That's why Jesus didn't say, jump into the kingdom. He said, seek the kingdom. Because you're not going to make it. You're not going to get there. Without help, without grace, without the grace of God, without God running out to meet you halfway. And of course, he said that's what he'd do. But you got to turn around first. You got to realize you're not thinking straight. You're not thinking like a Christian. You're not thinking like Christ. You've been thinking like Nimrod. You've been thinking like Caesar. You've been thinking like the Israelites who said, we want to have a king, even though they were told he would take and take and take and take and take. They had already rejected God, so they could not see the stupid foolishness of that action of electing a king, a ruler, someone, a commander-in-chief who could exercise authority. 
You can see how popular this message is. But I have to tell you the truth. I can't tickle your ears. There's, there's not enough time. You've got to start looking the other direction. Seeking the other way. A way that is based on faith, hope, and charity and that perfect law of liberty. Not force, fear, and allegiance. And the coercive church of government. Because religion isn't what you think about God. Religion is your pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man, which is to help your fellow man in love. So anyway, and and I, I pointed out that religion was only you know, mentioned five times in the Bible and four times in a bad sense and once in a good sense. And that one good sense was pure religion. So is your religion pure? Are you taking care of all the social needs of your father and your mother and your children and your neighbor through faith, hope, and charity? Because that's the goal. That's seeking the kingdom of God. And if you did that, you would become free souls under God eventually. But right now, you don't appear to be. Okay. So, anyway, I said I'd talk a little bit about this this coming up in South Africa. Because it's not just coming up in South Africa. It's going to come up in a lot of places. And we had a report from a Daniel in South Africa. Who was talking about the socialist ANC government. Is looking at revoking homeschooling privilege. Written in the Constitution by 2018, based on recommendations made by a government commission into how churches work with money, but also conclude that homeschooling is mostly Christian, is an abuse of a child's human rights, and can be considered a form of fundamentalism and extremism. Now, that that's, that's bizarre. Now, that's the way he... He wrote, I was just reading what he said, but that's that's the kind of thinking that's going on in the world today. And it's not exclusive to South Africa. So it's, a, it's you know, I, I sent out a response to that to the, to the whole network. And then I said I'd talk about it on the radio show today. And uh, this ideology of restricting the rights of the individual, individual parents in favor of the state, who really thinks of itself as parents patria, as the parent, as the father, the fathers of the earth, so to speak, as Jesus said, we were to call no man on earth father. But the reality is we are calling the state our father because we're asking the state to do things that we should be doing, our fathers should be doing, our collective fathers should be doing in a free society, which is the practice of that pure religion, that networking religion. You know, where we come together in these social networks. Fathers come together in the social networks and help each other out. That's what we should be doing, but we're not doing that. We're asking the government to do that. And we're going to talk about how that changes our relationship to government and our relationships to society. When we come back to Keys of the Kingdom...
Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, I said we were going to talk about some other issues here in relationship to this idea of the right of the parents to educate their children according to their own personal beliefs and convictions. And some countries have outlawed this. Germany outlawed it way back under Hitler. They didn't want that. They didn't want homeschooling. They wanted everybody going to the government schools. And, of course, communism, like I said, the tenth plank of the Communist Manifesto is public education. And Sweden, which you think of as a very tolerant and uh, progressively liberal uh, nation, have outlawed homeschooling. I mean, you can be arrested. You can actually go to jail for trying to teach your children at home. So... There is no place that's immune to this spirit of government control. Because the government wants control over your children's mind. I mean, just the idea that you have to teach your children a government curriculum is going to affect things. You've already been affected by this movement away from individual rights. Now, I don't want you to get angry about the fact that this has all come about by your apathy or by your parents' apathy or misunderstanding or confusion. I want you to see the right way and pursue it. Forgive those that have brought you to the brink of this precipice. Let go of your anger and resentment. Just start seeking the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. That is the solution. God will do the rest. But you have to turn around and start doing things the way God wanted you to do them all along. That's a huge job. but And you can't do it by yourself. But if you turn around, God will make up the difference. So anyway, Daniel writes also in uh, his email is that he's considering to approach the high courts uh, for a declaratory order or we call it a lot of times a declaratory judgment, on their rights to homeschool their own children. And uh, I know in the U.S. that usually you cannot take anything to the U.S. Supreme Court unless there is actually uh, somehow or other that somebody's rights are being damaged. You have to have an actual injured party somewhere and injured usually by government rules or regulations so that you can say that this is not right. And um, so they almost have to go through the process of making homeschooling illegal. Then you exercise that right anyway and then they come to force you and then you take that matter up to your higher court. I'm not sure exactly how it works in South Africa but that's very common amongst most of these, you know, like Australia and the United States and England and Canada. Although, once you get outside of the United States, this Commonwealth of Great Britain ideology and their view of English common law comes into play. And so it's not exactly the same in these other countries. So I don't know. But, to some degree, I thought it was kind of jumping the gun, and I'll tell you why. Uh, that it might be jumping the gun to try to get that. For one thing, I don't think the spirit will probably be there in these positions of power to 
do the right thing by parents who want to exercise their rights. I, I don't believe that spirit will be in most of these courts and in the men who occupy these positions of power. Because they didn't get to those positions of power because they wanted your freedom. They got to those positions of power because they wanted power. And power corrupts. So I, I don't really think that's the solution. But each individual must do their own prayer and think about it and and come to a conclusion. But I'll tell you why I think it might be jumping the gun. Because that, that I can say. Is that... Uh, and here I read something I just, I mean, just Googled it right off the bat. And it says the Republic of South Africa is a member of the United Nations and the African Union. It has ratified many of the UN human rights conventions. And I, I posted this where, you know, somebody could look. There's an actual long list of these human rights conventions that come out of the United Nations. And South Africa has signed Many of them, if not all, and the the website we post to that website so that you can go there and you can go read the individual deals that they've agreed to. We also have the basic human rights uh, documents, one of the basic most basic ones uh, posted on our own website, and we go down and show you all the way down to article twenty six section three. But anyway, if if the South Africa, and I'm pretty sure it has, has signed all those agreements, I'm sure they're going to fall under the UN Human Rights Convention that includes this Article 26, Item 3. Uh, and it will be binding international commitments to adhere to the standards laid down in these U- Universal Human Rights Documents. And uh, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights is one of those. And uh, we have that, like I said, on Preparing You, so you can look it up. And Article 26, Section 3 states, Parents have a prior right to choose the kind of education that shall be given to their children. Now, the... Most interesting thing here is they mention the phrase prior right. They don't say prior privilege. They say prior right. Parents have a prior right. And then it says to choose what? To choose the education? No. The education that shall be given to their children. Now, how do they exercise that right? depends on what government you're in. Are you in a collective democracy, an indirect democracy? You get to put some input in there. That's all that's really saying. But to me, the interesting thing is prior right. Prior to what? Prior to this declaration. Prior to government. Are we talking natural rights here? They don't say natural right, but they say prior right. And so anyway, I wrote down... While the nations who have signed these declarations have already declared parents have a prior right, there is a danger of being cunningly coerced into waiving those rights due to ignorance by their deeds and actions or even by written agreement or by sloth and apathy. 
Now that phrase, cunningly coerced into waiving those rights, that's actually from U.S. versus Minker. But I'm just talking about a principle. that you can waive rights by your actions. Inalienable rights. You can waive your inalienable rights by your actions. When you steal something from somebody, you're waiving a right to walk down the street with that which you stole. Because you've stolen something, they can chase you down and grab you and stop your right to travel. (laughs) Because you're traveling with stolen goods. What if you stole a loaf of bread and they're chasing you and as they're chasing you, you're eating the bread and when you finally eaten all the bread and they catch you, you say, I don't have any bread. <laughs> they don't want the bread back now. They actually would like the value of the bread back. They can continue to detain you because you stole the bread and you ate it. You changed it and now it's in you. They get to detain the bread, which is now a part of you. This is how it works. They give you a benefit. You consume that benefit. And now you become obligated according to the terms for that benefit. This is how you become merchandise. This is how through coveting practices, which is a crime. Coveting is a crime. According to the Ten Commandments, it is. But it's legal. But abortion's legal too. But desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor is a crime, according to the Ten Commandments. Killing is a crime, according to the Ten Commandments. Killing, murdering, is a crime. Murdering somebody who doesn't consent to be murdered. You know, like some I saw some woman saying that it's my womb. Well, it's your womb. And he says, I have a right to decide who's going to be in my womb. That's right. If you'd keep all those guys out of your womb, you wouldn't have a baby in your womb. But you let them in and they put a baby in there. Now you want to kill the baby. You let the baby in your womb. You know, what about rape? Well, if we were only going to deal with rape (laughs) victims, the, the abortion clinics would all shut down tomorrow. They aren't in business because of rape. They're in business because of promiscuity and because you're letting men in your womb. (laughs) So, that's why you're pregnant. And killing the baby is not solving the problem. But again, you can go see our videos on abortion. Abortion is a symptom of a deeper problem. It's not the problem itself. It certainly is a problem, but it is the result of a deeper problem in society. And so, if you really want to solve, I mean, it's like a cold. You got a cold, and what do they do? They treat the symptom. But they don't deal with the fact that why do you have the cold? You know? So, anyway, the point is, is that you can have a prior right to determine the education of your children, what's given them by you, by the state, by whom. You have that prior right. And so, if and I'm pretty sure they have, South Africa has already signed on to this, you have a right to educate your children already. They're going to take away that right because you're going to waive that right. You're going to cunningly be coerced into waiving that right. Well, how do you do that? How do you waive rights without even knowing it? 
Because it's cunningly done. And how are you coerced into doing it? Well, here, here's give you an example, and this is really, this is really going to get to the crooks of it. Were the Israelites coerced into signing an agreement with the Pharaoh that they would give 20% of their labor to the Pharaoh every year in exchange for free bread? Because they, they ran out of money. They ran out of things to trade for the grain. And the famine was still going on. And so they agreed, and all the people of Egypt agreed, to give 20% of their labor to the government, the Pharaoh, in exchange for this free bread. He would keep feeding them during the famine, but they had to guarantee that forever they would give 20% of what they earned to the government. And there was a ceiling limit, 20%. Now, you don't have that ceiling limit in most countries, so they can take 30, 40, 50, 60, 70%. But that's that's because Joseph didn't make the deal for you. You made the deal for yourself. <laughs> and you let them change the deal as they saw fit. But that's because you had already rejected God and elected men to exercise authority and to take away from your neighbors so that you would have enough. Because you're all a bunch of socialists. <laughs> you're all a bunch of practicing socialists. Whether you want to call yourself something else. That's, if you want the government to provide you with benefits at the expense of your neighbor, you're a socialist. Because that's what socialism is. And you really, Christ never wanted that. He never, he specifically said, you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. That's socialism. You're not to be that way. So Christ was not a socialist. He was actually a capitalist. And he has whole parables talking about capitalism. He wants you to be a charitable capitalist. He wants you to love your neighbor. He wants to help out your neighbor. But he wants your labor to belong to you. Even Moses a laborer is worthy of his hire. If he, if he does $10 worth of work, give him $10. You know, and you guys have to work that out. And the, the closeness of, you know, I mean, obviously the guy who starts the business, he's doing work too. He's taking funds he has and he's taking time he has and he's taking know-how he has and creates a business and says, hey, you know, if you want to come and work for me, come and work for $12 an hour and I'll pay you. You can say, no, I don't want to. to." And I've done this. Where the guy said, I can only offer you this much. That was $3 an hour. (laughs) And I said, well, you know, I got to drive all the way down here. This is hard work. Wears out my clothes. I mean, I can make more money doing something else. And he understood. Now, that time he was hiring me for $3 an hour. Later on he hired me for $30 an hour because I went and did something else and got really good at it. <laughs> and inflation came along. And so he hired me for the $30 an hour. And uh, so the the reality was is that I I couldn't work for the $3 an hour. or I think it's three seventy five. Uh, it, it just wouldn't pay the bills. I didn't mind the work, but it, I mean, I'd wear out a pair of blue jeans in a week, uh, maybe two weeks. Don't want to exaggerate. And it just, 
you know, blue jeans, what they cost 15 and how much was the gas? I had to drive all the way to this place and back. I mean, half my day was just paying for the expense. And then the other half of the day, you know, I wasn't going to take home much money. So, because, I mean, at first I was working nearby, but then he, the job moved to another location that was a long ways away. So, those are choices you get to make. And you work those out. And that's capitalism. Because capitalism is the private ownership of your labor, which is the means of production. You don't have capitalism in the United States because you don't own your labor. You don't have any capital because you only have Federal Reserve notes. You don't have real value. Even the Federal Reserve says the Federal Reserve note has no value. So you you're aren't practicing capitalism. You haven't been. So all the problems you think are coming from capitalism are not. They're also coming from corporatism, which you're also practicing, and crony corporatism at that, which is why they bail out billion-dollar banks instead of saying to everybody who has a mortgage, we're going to reduce your mortgage rates. I mean, you could have reduced... If you owed $400,000 mortgage... And suddenly your house, you couldn't sell it for $150,000. The government could have stepped in with a bailout that said, that mortgage has to be paid back, but on, you know, um, 30 cents on the dollar. And then people would have been able to keep their homes, pay off those mortgages. The money would have, the banks wouldn't have gone out of business. They'd still be there. But you would have reduced the burden because you're dealing with funny money anyway. And everybody would have been able to keep their homes. They would have kept their jobs. Uh, we had massive numbers of people that had to migrate around the country because there were no more jobs in their area. So they had to go somewhere else and they lost everything. They lost the equity in their houses and they lost, had to sell their cars and had to sell, you know, 20000 or $50,000 equipment for a fraction of its value because they couldn't take it with them. It was ridiculous. But the rich were doing great. It's because you don't know how to run a society of free people because you have not been free. You haven't set your neighbor free for so many years. So anyway, let's go back to those parents and their prior right. So what... You have this prior right. And, and it's important thing is to seek the parental and individual responsibilities on every level of your personal and common welfare for you and for your neighbor. This is this is what you need to be doing. And this is what you haven't been doing. You've been asking the government to take over these responsibilities for your parents in your system of Corbin that causes you to do Little for your parents, if not no more for your parents. And you don't take care of your children, your education, you send them to public schools. And you say, well, they're making me pay for it. Well, that's because your parents cursed you with this debt. You're just paying off the debt of your parents. It isn't, you're not paying for the school. You're just, all that money you're paying in income tax and even Social Security money, it's all going into this one purse, this treasury. And that's all going to pay the interest on the debt. When they want to actually provide you with a benefit, they borrow more money 
from the future. That's that's what they're doing. I mean, that's just math. It's just bookkeeping. You can look this up and figure this out. You're not paying for the service. You're paying the interest on the money that they've already borrowed. There is no separate trust fund. Okay? We've got articles that show you. This has already been ruled time and time again. There is no division of funds. It's just just in the newspapers and in your own imagination. In reality, the government's got a big debt ceiling, which you keep raising all the time, and all the money that they're collecting is just going to pay the interest. I mean, there might be a slight little variation in that, but it's it it'll get to the point where you're not even paying the interest. I mean, not all of it. And the interest itself is increasing the debt. But anyway, that's another whole story on economics, which we've already talked about. But the reality is, is this, that the purpose of the church and what we call congregations of record is to help people pursue their God-given responsibilities and therefore inherit their corresponding prior God-given rights. Those God-given rights, the kingdom of God is the right to be ruled by God. It's the right to live according to your natural and alienable rights. You've lost that rights because you've gone into debt. You've ate the bread of your neighbor and now they're holding you accountable. You've turned the bread of your neighbor into your education, into your knowledge and ability, and now you belong to them. You become merchandise. You become a surety for debt. And this has taken a long time, a couple of generations. That's about all. It really isn't taking all that long. But then now somebody comes along and says, well, the reason that they have this power is because you've been eating at their table. You sat and ate with men, kings, rulers, and you ate with a great appetite for benefits and you did not do what Proverbs says, which put a knife to your throat if you be a man of appetite to keep you from eating so much of their benefits. Then you become literally addicted to those benefits. Socially, economically, practically addicted to those benefits. You can't live without them. You can't take care of your parents. They're going to want to collect that Social Security. Many of you can't even educate your kids at home. You could learn. And what you need is other people to help teach you how to do this. This is why you gather together with people of similar values, of the same values. Those people are going to want to set you free. They're not going to want to take from you. I saw this guy, he's been doing this for years. You know, he stands out on the street corners. I think he's a coin dealer, actually, but he does a lot of videos. He goes and talks to people on the beach and asks them questions and shows that people are really ignorant of the truth and of how things work. But he stands there and he offers, would you like a Snickers bar or this 10th ounce golden coin? And everybody either takes nothing or they take the Snicker bar. I never saw a video where anybody took the coin. But they, they'll they take the snicker bar. and But a lot of people didn't want to take anything. They didn't want to take anything for free. 
And that's a good sign. Except for the fact that I'll lay you odds that all of them were taking things for free. They probably all went to public school. You know, people say, well, I pay my taxes. Yeah, and you should pay your taxes. Because your parents put you in debt. And you owe those taxes. But you should not be taking the benefit. Because you should be uh, just paying off the debt and you should be taking care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity. That's Christianity. That's what being a Christian means. It doesn't mean participating in the world because that would spot your charity. Anyway, we're going to take this to another level when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, uh, we were talking about Universal Declaration of Human Rights and the fact that parents have a prior right to determine the education of their children or what education is given their children. Is it given by the state? Is it given by them? Well, they have that prior right, but they can lose that prior right by applying to the government for benefits, even benefits unrelated to their children themselves. And we show them this, you know, like a marriage license is a benefit. The Social Security number or National Insurance number, those are benefits. I mean, the reason you have to wear a safety belt in that car is because the government may have to provide medical care for you because you're a child of the state. And if you go read our articles and booklets on Call No Man Father upon the earth, why did Jesus say that? you will see that this has been around for centuries and centuries and centuries. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about the so-called census that was taken at the time that Jesus was about to be born was not really a census. It was a registration to register with the Roman government, accepting the Roman government as your parents' patria, as your you know, uh, Patronus, as the father of your people, the great white father in Rome. And he was going to provide you with lots of benefits. And uh, lots of Jews liked this. But some remained unregistered. They were kind of more fundamentalist, I guess, or something. <laughs> anyway, but it was a choice, which is why we see in the Bible a guy coming up and says, does... Your master paid the tax because some people didn't pay the tax because some people were not registered. They were not signed up. And this was a very important part. Peter was idiotis, unregistered. That's what it means. They tell you that it means unlearned, but that's not what it means. They also tell you that all scripture is given of God. Well, 
Actually, the word scripture isn't the word scripture. It's all writings. All writings. What writings? All writings are given of God. Every flower, everything is given of God. Now, you need to know which ones to reject and which ones to accept and what they mean and how to interpret them. How do you do that? Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit come? It comes because you are draw near God. How do you draw near God? How do you get God's forgiveness? Jesus tells you, I mean, are you going by the doctrines of Jesus because he died on the cross, you're forgiven? That's not what Jesus says. And, and now some people are forgiven because Jesus died on the cross, but who's who's Paul talking to? He's not necessarily talking to you. He might be talking to you. I don't know. You, case by case basis. You can receive the forgiveness of God, but not if you do not forgive. Jesus says, forgive so that ye may be forgiven. If you do not forgive, neither will my Father forgive you. The forgiveness is there, available, but you have to forgive to get it. You have to forgive others to get it. You want God to give to you? Well, you have to give to others. That's that's the deal. He's keeping track of the books. I don't need to keep track of the books. But you have to give to be given to. You have to freely give to be given to. Well, your parents haven't been freely given. Oh, they, they've done some token freely, but they've also applied to benefactors who exercise authority. They've registered with the fathers of the earth to get the benefits of the earth. And the benefits of the earth is death. <laughs> so I can't do anything about that. But you can repent like the prodigal son and head back to your father's house with the intent of being a servant. And just that act of turning around brings you closer to God because God will come out and meet you part way. Now, if that prodigal son came back and they had the festival and the father greeted him and hugged him and forgave him, but the next day he was still in bed at 10.30, <laughs> unless they stayed up really, really late celebrating, but if he didn't get to work, the father is not going to tolerate him being home. He's got to come back to be that servant in all honesty and sincerity. He can't, you know, like a week later, he decides, well, I'm going to go out and party for a week. No, you know, you got to stick at it. You got to be there. You haven't, you don't get a paid vacation. <laughs> you got to work there a year first. You have to be consistent. You have to endure, which is where we're going to go in a little bit to understand that Christ said seek action word Christ said strive action word Christ said endure action word these are things that Christ said not someone who just says but someone who's a doer praising the apostles that you have stayed with me you put your hand to the plow. You can't take it off again. You can't be wishy-washy. You got to stick at it. You got to endure it. You haven't done that. 
Your parents haven't done that. Your grandparents haven't done that. I'm not picking on your particular parents or grandparents. God is judge. But you're in a lot of trouble. Worldwide. Everywhere. Because you're not ready for what's coming. You want to be a prepper? Prepare by seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Because if you're not doing that, no amount of preparation will save you. Absolutely guaranteed. No amount of preparation will save you unless you're actually seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But if you will actually do that, unbelievable protection can befall you. But you can't do it for that protection unless you include your neighbor. You have to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. You have to care about the protection of your neighbor as much as you care about your own. Which is why you gather to gather. If you gather together and then abandon those you gathered with, you've missed it. What grace have you if you only love those who love you? You know, I was talking to somebody about that the other day and brought up marriage. You know, actually, I'm jumping the gun a little bit here. Uh, you can, If you want to read more about the parental rights and, and free education and all that kind of stuff, we have a free education link at Preparing You. Just look up free education and uh, and you'll see connections to the Universal uh, Declaration of Human Rights and all that stuff. Now, I, I'm not a fan of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights but out of their own mouth, they say you have a prior right. What I'm saying is that you should be seeking the kingdom to avoid waiving that prior right, but also seeking the kingdom because it is the only way, according to uh, Ben Shapiro, to have a free society. Is that you have to be seeking that social network outside of government, separate from the world, that is helping each other with common values. And those values need to be Christ values, which means you need to be practicing pure religion, undefiled before God, by taking care of one another, unspotted by the world. So anyway, another article, and we'll use this as a jumping up uh, off point. It says this year, uh, as in the years past, 8th graders in Biloxi, Mississippi, began reading the classic American novel To Kill a Mockingbird. And then partway through, and with little warning, they stopped. They stopped reading the novel. They're not going to read to the end, which is amazing because it's a very suspenseful novel. It's very fascinating. Great movie with Gregory Peck, To Kill a Mockingbird. Does the novel pretty good justice. It's a great, great movie. I I do recommend it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you can make a whole... You get Henry Fonda and 12 Angry Men next. <laughs> make a whole theme weekend of it. But why? Why did they stop reading it? It's because according to the school board vice president, school board vice president, it makes people feel uncomfortable. Wow. Amazing. You know what that's from? 
he's probably a churchgoer. <laughs> and not he, he should be. Because that's why people go to church today, is to be comforted. It's not the Holy Spirit that's comforting them, it's their preacher. Tell them that they're saved. Oh, great, I'm saved. Tell them that you're justified as you are. God loves you as you are. You don't have to change. You don't have to repent. You don't have to think differently. You can keep, you know, going to men who exercise authority. You can keep making the state your father. You can keep cursing your children more and more debt. But you're saved because you thought a thought. Because you said the magic words, I accept Jesus in my heart as my personal Savior. I'm not going to do what he said. But I accept him in my heart as my personal Savior, so therefore I'm saved. No, you're not. So there, I didn't tickle your ears. You're not saved because of what you say. It's not what you say, it's what you do. Because what you do is telling us what you really mean. You're just lying to yourself. You're just under a strong delusion. You've believed a lie. You thought Paul was talking to you. He's not talking to you. He was talking to Christians who were actually practicing pure religion, which was the pious performance of their duty to God and their fellow man, unspotted by the world. <laughs> I added that to the definition, unspotted by the world, because it's in the definition given to us by James. And how can you do that without networking? Without gathering together in a free assembly. So I, I had an audio on, on free assemblies on congregation. And I actually stumbled on it. I was looking for another article, uh, another audio and, and stumbled on it. And I listened to it and there were a lot of other voices that came on. I'm not sure exactly how we made that recording. Evidently, I do remember it though. Uh, I was actually outside. Digging potatoes. I had an old cell phone. And I had a little plug-in earphone. And uh, had good enough reception at that time with that old cell phone that I could be outside digging potatoes <laughs> and did a radio broadcast with other people on the radio. Their voices were a little clearer than mine, but uh, it was clear enough. You could understand what I was saying. And I was fascinated. This was years and years and years and years ago. That answering all the questions and making all the comments, it was exactly what I'm still saying today. No variation. I think I've added this recording now to the the uh, Wiki Study Unincorporated Associations, which is a part of our uh, studies that we do on Tuesday with the Free Church Report. And there's an additional audio there, so you can go listen to it. But the voices of almost everybody that came on that recording are no longer networking with us. They've left us. The other interesting thing is almost every single one of them, I think every single one of them, are, have been divorced. They were married and now they're divorced. Now I understand divorces can happen for all kinds of reasons, but in almost every single case, the divorce is the result of both parties. Now, one might be a little bit more to blame than the other, but it's usually both parties have definitely, without a doubt, contributed to this divorce and the desire to have the divorce. Because the men are not real men and the women are not real women. Not women of God. Oh, they think they are, but they're not. 
And I can almost guarantee that across the board because almost everybody is not really men and women of God. <laughs> so, so, you know, that, that, and those that have remained together, they're not necessarily that great at being men and women of God either. They may be. I don't know. I'm not judging it. I'm just making an observation. But they didn't stick. You know, it, when it says, you know, the, the vows are basically love, honor, and cherish, and love, honor, and obey. The, the woman's supposed to obey her husband, and the man is supposed to cherish the wife. And that's very consistent with what Paul says, and what Christ says, and what Moses said. Because, you know, Paul said, yeah, the woman should obey her husband, but the husband should love the woman as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He laid down his life for it. He sacrificed himself. Most men will not even sacrifice their ego to stay married. They won't eat a little humble pie occasionally to stay married. And that's why they end up with divorce. Because they're proud, arrogant sons of a guns who are not laying down their life for their wife. Very few women will find the energy to divorce their husband if he was like Christ. You know, I saw another interesting video. It was a guy on uh, some sort of stage at high school or college. And he had this girl up there. And the girl was evidently chosen from the audience. And she was supposed to argue with him and call him names and bully him. And, uh, you know, she starts off with something like, you're ugly and your clothes suck and, and all this stuff. And he he does the, oh, yeah you know, and argues back and and she just keeps coming at him and she is just ruthless. I mean, she is powerfully ruthless. <laughs> but it's all done in fun. You know, they're role playing. And uh, and then he says, okay, it would be great and everybody applauds and everything. And she's kind of laughing because she kind of, she's letting down her guard. And the instruction is to bully him and don't stop no matter what he says. Okay, now he says we're going to change the thing. We're going to do this differently. I want you to bully me again. Same name calling. Bullying me. Putting me down. As you did before. But, uh, you know, I'm going to react to it differently. But I want you to keep going and don't stop. You know. And so, instead, you know, when he she says he's stupid. He says, yeah, I do a lot of stupid things. You're right. I shouldn't do those things. I should be more... Uh, I should be better person. I, I thank you for pointing that out. And then she calls him ugly and complains about his clothes again and everything. And you can see she's getting weaker. She can't keep this up. And he keeps agreeing with her and apologizing and telling her that when she says he's ugly, he says yes. But you're, you know, you're really very nice looking, very personable person. I really appreciate what you have to say to me. And she can't do it. She can't. She cannot physically go on. <laughs> Now, it's it's a contrived situation, and she's really emotionally angry at him and everything. But he completely disarms her. I'm telling you, you men, if you were real men, you wouldn't end up in the divorces you end up with. And, you know, you same way with raising your children, you would get different results. When you're you're failing as a parent, when you're failing as a husband, when you're failing as a wife, when you're failing as a mother, 
You need to look at that. Why are you failing? Why are you not getting the responses and reaction? You can say, oh, it's because my spouse, my kid, my whatever. Somebody else is not doing right. What are you not doing right? That needs to be your approach. What could I do better to be a better husband, better wife, better father, better mother, better son, better daughter? What could I do? How can I change? Because that's what you need to think in terms of being changed yourself, not changing others. That's kingdom. Because you're not going to be forcing others. You're going to be changing or allowing yourself to be changed. You husbands, lay down your ego. Give up your life. Sacrifice yourself lovingly for your spouse. And she will not want to divorce you. She may at times. Everybody gets uh, the, the downtime, But she, she won't have the energy to carry it out. She'll have to give it up. If, you know, and, and it's very easy to blame everything on everybody. That's the original sin. Not my fault. It's the woman you gave me. Don't do that. So anyway, how are we going to get back? And why? what does that have to do with free assemblies? If you cannot assemble yourself together with your spouse and your family, how can you assemble yourself together in a free assembly with a congregation? Same principles need to apply in a congregation. You need to come together with the same values, the values of Christ, the name of Christ. Remember, I've said before, name of Christ is not Yeshua, it's not Christ, it's not Messiah. The name of Christ is the values and character of Christ, of Jesus, of Yeshua, of God, Yahweh. It's the values it's the law. The law is the value. The law is spiritual. Those spiritual values. That's coming in the name of Christ. You know, and I, I was going on to say, if you attended American schools within the last few decades, chances are uh, you were offered uh, the, an opportunity to read Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird. It has been considered a staple of American literature and worldwide renowned classic and sold over 40 million copies since the first publication back in the 1960s, which I was going to the seminary back in the 1960s. And, um, uh, and then later on, you know, Gregory Peck came out with a movie version, which is still a you know, great classic. Of of and and historically fairly accurate. I grew up in the South. My parents were from the North, but I grew up in the South. And it's amazing. The, the you know my my wife just uh, was seeing the movie Hidden Numbers, which is talking about the black plight in the South. Now, unfortunately, there's a great many black people and even white people today that do not understand what that was really all about. And, uh, you know, Booker T. Washington, they understood it. They understood how to fight it. They understood how to overcome it. And, uh, but uh, many of the modern tactics, certainly banning to kill a mockingbird is not the answer. We need to hear the uncomfortable message of truth. We need to know the whole truth. And the truth is, we have not been coming together 
in a system that is based on the name of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of God, to, to be a value to one another, to help one another, to strengthen one another. We're trying to be one another's comforter. We're going to church for, I like the music, I like the preacher, I like the seats, I like the you know, stained glass windows, or I like the band, I like the big screen TV up in the front, I like, uh, you know, because it gives me this feeling, you know, but this comfort. No. That's not why you should be going to church. If you're going to church for those reasons, you need to take a hard look at yourself. You need to be willing to lay down your comfort. And put your hand to the plow and strive and seek the kingdom of God, not just for yourself, but for others round about you. Not just for your children, not just for your spouse, but for your neighbors. Those that love you and those that don't love you. This is the challenge. You know, this is the challenge God has given us. You need to strive, like Christ said. You need to seek, like Christ said. So you need to come together. But what happens? People come together. They come together. Love. This is what I was going to say about love, honor, and cherish, and love, honor, and obey. It doesn't say, "Thou shalt." I I will love, honor, and cherish my wife as long as she love, honors, and obeys me. She stops obeying me, I'll divorce her in a minute. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Your contract is with God. God, I love, honor, and cherish this woman. God, I love, honor, and obey this husband. Women don't worry about the obey things. So many of them are worried about that. Let down your ego and just obey your husband. If he tells you to do something wrong... Do it anyway. Sometimes. I mean, I have to put limits on this because people are really crazy out there. But do it with a loving heart. And you can tell them that you don't feel comfortable with it and not do it. And don't want to do it, but do it anyway. Depending on what it is. And if you really have the love of Christ in you, He won't ask you again. Because the guilt will fall on Him. If you do it with resentment, He's going to make you do it again. Don't do that. You got to do it with the character of Christ. That's your mission to do what you do, whatever it is, with the character of Christ. 99% of the time, divorcing husbands is not done with the character of Christ. I mean, you have a right to protect your life. You also have a right to lay down your life. So these are choices you get to make. But you have to be careful about those choices. What choices have you made already that brought this about? This goes for husband and wife. They need to. This is another whole topic, and we won't stay on this. But it all has to do with coming in the character, values, and way of Christ. And Christ came to serve. And when he washed the feet of the apostles, they were convicted by that act of service. They were convicted. This altered them. This opened them up to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. 
because of the way in which Christ knelt down and washed their feet. The spirit by which he did it. The spirit by which you do things is going to make the difference in your relationships in holy matrimony and in free assemblies. So that now we're at back to the free assemblies, which are not unincorporated associations. And you can go hear that audio. I, I think it's posted on that page. But the page I want to talk to you about, which is also a new page that I've just added, is one that is entitled Endure. Matthew 10:22 And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Wow. If you don't endure, you're not saved? Is that what he's saying? Well, let's talk about that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I was just preparing for the next uh, show this afternoon, but uh, where I'm going to talk about uh, ICS, Incident Command Service. I've been working with people who work with FEMA, or actually meeting with them. I haven't been working with them yet, um, but uh, they're a local fire, uh, range fire outfit that is all voluntary. Uh, based on free will donations and uh, membership of those who want to become members. But it's a voluntary fire department that is dealing with rangeland fires. And some of the people that are operating there are already in connection with FEMA and how they work. But they kept mentioning ICS, which is Incident Command Service. And so I I looked up what that meant and how, and that's universal. I mean, it's used all across the United States, used in Australia, used in all kinds of different countries. And so I was going through their protocols and I just went through during the break and changed everything, everywhere that you see the word command and put in the word service. So it becomes incident service system instead of incident command. Uh, system and I'm going to go through and see if there's other words that we could change and learn something from that that is basically kingdom in nature And uh, but right now we're going to talk about endureth because this comes up over and over again in the gospel but it's the actual gospel of Christ what he actually said it's not what you're being taught in your churches today they just say you know they say you can't lose your salvation Christ saying, those who endureth to the end shall be saved. Those who don't endureth, then they didn't, they did lose their salvation. Because they didn't endureth. I mean, why would he say that? If, if those who endureth and those who don't endureth are both saved? <laughs> I 
know, he doesn't, he doesn't say that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying something else. Your, your preachers are ear ticklers. They're trying to get you in their church. Here's a, here's a clear sign that somebody, people were actually shocked when they said, so when we join his church, do, can we, uh, we have to stop going to the church we're going to? No. We said, no, absolutely not. No. It's a free assembly. We can't say you can't go to another church. This is a sure sign we're not a cult. Because we don't say you should be excluding your your family. We don't say you should be excluding the churches you're going to now. Keep going to them if that's what the Holy Spirit is telling you. We're not going to regulate that. That's cult stuff. But how many churches, how many ministers say, yeah, go ahead and go over to that church, see what they have to offer you. They won't even come together to help other churches for fear that some of their congregants might get to know the other minister and stay with him instead of with them. They even threaten and coerce you. If you start to go to another church, they come after you. They give you a hard time. Oh, you're, you're a bad guy, you're a traitor, da 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 No. We want you not to belong to the church. We want you to belong to God. We want you to be led not by us, but by the Holy Spirit. We would like to walk with you. But you have to be seeking that kingdom of God and His righteousness, which means His values. What He considers to be righteous is what He considers to be valuable. And we want you to endure in that pursuit. And we want to endure in that pursuit. And we would love to walk together with you in a free assembly. We don't want, again, you to belong to us. We want you to belong to God. We want you to stand on your own two feet. But that may mean you have to pick up your cross and lay down your junk, your garbage, And the way you lay down your garbage is you forgive those. If you don't forgive people, you will not be forgiven. You will not be released from the burden of your judgment on other people. That's just the way it is. I'm not not condemning you to that. That's just, you know, I don't condemn somebody to gravity. You jump off a building, you're headed down. That's just the way it is. Gravity's going to take you down. If you don't forgive, neither will you be forgiven. I can't do anything about that. I'm not picking on you. I'm telling you the truth so that you can change and be changed by Christ. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, his ego, his vanity, his comfort. And take up his cross and follow me. Do what I do. What did he do? He came to serve. Pretty simple. Not complicated. He didn't come to go to church to feel good because it's got great music. He came to serve. He didn't come for the big screen TVs. He didn't come for the cushy seats. He didn't come for the feeling of self-righteousness. But actual seek righteousness. And help you do the same. He goes on in Matthew 10:38, And he that taketh not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. 
This, this is just so fundamental. This idea of uh, endureth. You know, there's actually several words that are translated into forms of endure, and they're translated other ways too. The same word that's translated endure in that first quote that I gave, uh, is 11 times it appears as endure, but uh, two times is take patiently, tarry behind, uh, abide, patient, suffer. It appears as all these, and it means to remain, you know, to to stick at it. So now, if you form a congregation, are you going to endure in that congregation? I always say, love the ones you're with. Okay. Well, I don't love them anymore. I'm going to find different ones to be with that I haven't stopped loving yet. <laughs> no. No divorce. God doesn't want you to divorce. Hate sin. And don't abandon your congregation. Don't abandon the network of your congregation with other congregations because your congregation is just one little part of the kingdom of God. Now, you need to be a part of that yourself. Now, this this word, it, the Hebrew word is hupomino, uh, and we may get some time to go into exactly what, you know, and and how that means. It's actually composed of two different words. But it appears in... Matthew twenty four thirteen, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Which we talked about at the beginning. But in Mark thirteen thirteen, we see, and ye shall be hated of all men, for my name's sake. But he that shall endure, same word again, unto the end, the same shall be saved. And uh, we also see it in Luke two forty three, and when they had fulfilled the days. And they returned the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. So they, he, he had, he'd stayed behind. He'd stayed there. He was still preaching and teaching in the temple. Even as this child. And when he was, you know, approached, you know, I must be about my father's business. That's what you should be about in your congregation. Don't leave it. Don't abandon it. Don't abandon the network. I mean, you can because it's a free assembly. But Jesus is telling you no. The the congregation you're with, stick with it. I mean, you, do you, when your kids don't do what you want them to do, you just abandon them? No. When your wife or your husband doesn't do things the way you want them to do, do you abandon them? Well, all those guys did, and then they abandoned us. Now I hope they come back. I don't. I I I forgive them seventy times seven. But they need to come back, and actually seek the kingdom and not the comfort of religion. The Holy Spirit is comfort enough, and we want you to follow that. And if you were following that, that would be comfort enough. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go. As it were to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still, remained, endured. They stayed with it. This is this is where this word keeps showing up. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, and they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. 
with eternal glory. He's giving, setting the example of enduring. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Stick it out. Rejoice in hope. Patience, that's the word, endures, translated patience in Romans 12, 12. In tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. People would do this in their marriages, there'd be a lot less divorce. But they want comfort. They want to be comforted. Their wife, their husband doesn't comfort them enough, so they're going to leave them. Look for something else that comforts them more. That's not why Christ Christ did not come to be comforted. He came to serve. And to serve in righteousness will do more to correct your husband or your wife or your spouse than anything else. Now, uh, the same word you know, shows up in Timothy, Second uh, Timothy 2.12. If we suffer, and there's the word, suffer. It comes as suffer. If we endure we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Do we deny the other people in our congregation? Or do we stick with them through thick and thin? We're not loyal to them. We're loyal to Christ. If they're doing wrong, we get to say, let them leave us, not us leave them. I've had people come here that were not good people. Didn't want to be good people. I took them as they were. And those who would not become good people or better people or overcome certain problems that they had, they fled. I didn't flee. That's how you drive out demons. Same principle. But you have to drive out the place for demons in your heart, which means you have to open up your heart to the ways of Christ and the character of Christ. And that requires repentance, a change of thinking, a change of action. Hebrews 10.32 But call to remembrance the former days in which, after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Looking into Jesus in 12.2 we see. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What cross are you enduring? You guys don't even put up with each other. Everybody's got to see things your way. Got to do things your way. Got to say it your way. Or you're leaving them. You're abandoning them. Christ didn't do that. Why do you think you're supposed to do that? Hebrew 12.3 For consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself. Test ye be, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You, you, we're so wishy-washy. Why in the world? You, you don't leave your children. You don't leave your congregation. You stick it out. You, because they are bringing you face to face with 
what you have become and what you want to unbecome to become like Christ. When Jesus says, put your hand to the plow, he, he says, don't take it away again. Don't look back. But yet people are coming to the plow and then they go off. They start plowing. They start seeing it. What is driving them to take their hand off the plow? What is seducing them to not continue, not remain, not abide in the righteousness of God? They, oh, they still think they're righteous, but they've abandoned their fellow man. You know, if I see somebody going the wrong way, I'll tell them that I think they're going the wrong way. I think they're headed to trouble. They don't listen all the time. But I will tell them. That's freedom of speech. There's freedom of speech in the kingdom of God. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the bridge isn't out. Maybe they're not headed for a precipice. But it looks like it from my point of view. I'm not abandoning anybody. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm available here all the time. I'm still married to the same woman. Still have the same children. Oh, my kids don't do what I think they ought to do. But I give them the opportunity of making that choice and I don't make them comfortable in that choice. But I also don't try to manipulate. I'm not a cult. Just the reverse. You need to belong to the cult of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) The real Holy Spirit and not the imaginary Holy Spirit a lot of people are creating. If you were, you would be gathering together strengthening one another with common values in a network that reaches beyond your little congregation, beyond your county, beyond your state, beyond your country, because you're seeking the kingdom of God and you'd be doing it through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty, practicing pure religion, because you're seeking the righteousness of God, not the self-righteousness of Cain and Uh, Nimrod and Caesar and Hitler and Mussolini and uh, Stalin and Mao Zedong or Bernie Sanders (laughs) or even Trump. He's still commander-in-chief. It corrupted Saul. I'm I'm amazed if it wouldn't corrupt (laughs) Trump some. You know, I don't want to pick on the guy because he's still there. Mao's, he's done. He's done. He had his chance. I don't know what happened that is on his deathbed. But, uh, you know, we are in the end times. Every one of us are in the end times. Whether it's the end of the world or not, you're in your end times. You got this life you're dealing with today. What are you doing with it? Trying to be comforted by the things of the world or trying to bring righteousness. Seek it doesn't say seek ye the kingdom of God and your comfort. But seek ye the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, which was requiring seeking, striving, persevering, enduring until the end. So yes, come together. Help one another. Learn what it means to homeschool, home educate. If they lose homeschooling in South Africa, that affects me. I don't live in South Africa, but that affects me. It'll break my heart for all those people in South Africa 
and for all those people who caused that loss. If they if they lose it in Australia, if they lose it in Canada, the same thing. I remember when I went to meetings way back when people, you know, looking for justice because they were being abused in their local courts and their local police, which happens occasionally, far too often. And I said, well, the answer is, and I stood right in the midst. I, I went down in the crowd. I didn't stand up on a podium. I like being down there in the crowd. And I said, you, pointing to the one person there, you, when you get called in, you you have to tell him. And then when they're called in, you have to tell these people. And then you have to show up and be there when they they drag you into court unfairly. I wasn't talking about the individual issues, the merits or anything. You just have to be there. You have to come and show up because you care about them. And the person uh, on my left at that time said, I don't care about their problem. I just care about mine. And there you have it. I, I, I just said, well, I can't help you. You're on your own. And I turned and walked up to the front and said a few more things and then the meeting came to an end. And what I said is that if you guys don't care about one another, you're not going to win. You're not going to succeed. You're not going to find justice. You have to care about one another's problems. And those of you who don't care, you won't show up. The more your congregation learns to care about one another as well as the next congregation, because you cannot just care about those in your congregation. I've seen ministers do this. They just focus on their congregation. That is not the right spirit. And you need to check yourself on that. They have to, their position, their minister position is a kingdom position. They need to be connecting that congregation with other congregations. That is one of their primary goals and purposes. Because otherwise, it's not a kingdom purpose. If it's just your little congregation, your little covey of chicks, no, it's got to be kingdom, which means your congregation has to care about the next congregation. In the process, they have to learn to care about one another. And in that process, they have to learn to care about their spouse and their children. And that same caring that begins at home needs to expand out to the congregation and the congregation's caring has to expand out to other congregations and the congregations of all have to expand out to caring about the people of the world because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that they might be saved might be saved the word world there is constitutional order and system of government that's what John's saying Jesus cared about the Romans and the Roman commonwealth and, you know, the Pax Romana and the people in Ireland and the people farther away than that. He cared about them. And he gave, God gave his only begotten son that they all might be saved. But if they want to be saved, they have to endureth. Endureth what? Forgiveness. Giving. 
creating that network of charity that offers all the righteous benefits of the world, but through, in a righteous way, through faith, hope, and charity in that perfect law of liberty. That's really simple to see. It's hard to imagine it working. But that's where faith comes in. Either you believe in the ways of God, or you don't believe in the ways of God. If you say you believe in the ways of God, then you need to do. You need to be a doer of that word, that I believe in Jesus. And therefore, you have to become a doer, because what you do speaks louder than what you say. This is why he says, not those who say, but those who do it. Those who aren't doing, it doesn't matter what they say. What they do makes them a liar about what they say. They say, I believe in Jesus. I accept Jesus. I just don't want to do what he wants me to do. I don't want to keep his commandments. I want to go on coveting my neighbor's goods, getting free education, wanting the state to take care of my parents, because the state's making me pay in, because you won't forgive the state. You won't forgive your parents for selling you into bondage. You have to forgive your parents, forgive the state, and learn what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what you have to do. And that doing is seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you have to endure until the end. Hebrews twelve seven. If ye endure chastening, which is what I'm doing, <laughs> God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Of course, I'm telling you, you screwed up. So that you can get better. So you can turn around. If I, you haven't really repented yet until you see this. You know, if you, people think they're repenting because they turn around. If you turn all the way around, you're still heading the same direction you were heading before. Let's go the other way. And let's do it together. Because together is the way Christ wants you to do it. Until then, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.